Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them. Brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. My guest today is author Lauren Smith. Welcome, Lauren, to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much. Awesome. Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been writing, how you got started. So I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I have technically been writing since the third grade, but I didn't publish my first book until 2014. And I work full time as an attorney and I went to uh, Oklahoma State University. And then I actually went to two different law schools uh, at the same time. So I have a Canadian Juris Doctorate and an American Juris Doctorate. So in other words, I work too much. <laughs> Overachiever. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Says the girl that does something similar. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you were saying, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So I just, um, I started writing in 2014 as far as, um, being published. And I write historical romance, contemporary romance. Uh, I write a little bit of dark romance under the pen name Emma Castle. And I also write paranormal romance. And I'm now writing cozy mysteries under Daphne Hunt. (laughs) You weren't kidding about staying busy, were you? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Awesome. Wow. That's a lot of different genres. And those are all subgenres within the romance. I always say that romance is like an umbrella with the subgenres underneath them. And those are the ones. What made you decide to write in, you know, historical, contemporary, paranormal, and then not dark and now cozy mysteries? Well, I um I actually was not raised on reading romance like a lot of people were. I actually didn't start reading romance until 2009, my second year in law school. And before that, I had basically read everything but romance. And I'd had a silly preconceived notion that romance was was one thing when clearly I was so wrong. And I was really happy to discover that I was wrong. But the funny thing was, is I was writing like at the time in law school, I was trying to write a high fantasy series, but it had all this romance in it. And I didn't even know that I was writing romance. And one of my critique partners was like, have you ever read Nora Roberts? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, she writes that romance crap, right? <laughs> and this lady said, yeah, uh, you write romance, honey. And cause she was this lovely older woman, like, like my mother's age. She was so sweet. And I said, no, I don't. She goes, here, I'm going to get you a Nora Roberts. So the next time we met, she brought me like a bag of Nora Roberts. And she's like, just read them. You'll see. And I read and I was like, oh my God, these are really good. I've been wrong my whole life. This is what I must write now. (laughs) But because I came with that, that background of everything but romance, you know, I came from a high fantasy background. I came from classics at the secret garden. And, you know, then I had like Redwall from Brian Jacques and then, you know, Harry Potter. And I, and I just came from, you know, and I read all the, you know, Bronte and Jane Austen and every, so I, I could basically write almost anything because I read almost everything. So I just now take a story that I love and wrap a romance throughout the whole thing so that my stories are very heavily romance focused, 
but I also want the story themselves usually to have something else cool going on that that a non-romance reader could go, okay, I may not be super in love with the romance parts, but I could skip it and get to this this next scene, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's been my process. Cool. So when how does then the um, decision of your, you know, this is going to be a historical or this is going to be a PNR or contemporary, how does that then come into play? Well, my bread and butter, and I hate saying that because it sounds like I don't care about it, but the easiest thing to write for me is historical. So I have my largest fan base in historical, but in the last year or so, I've been working to build up my other contemporary and paranormal um, title listings a little bit in those other series while still maintaining the historical, because that's, you know, where I make most of my supportive income and everything. But um, I, I basically also take turns because I found out pretty quickly, I cannot write the same thing in a row very easily. So I write like a historical, then I take a break from it and go straight into like, a you know, contemporary romance. And then I jump straight into like dragon shifters or, Mm -hmm. you know, something and then rotate back to historical. So it keeps it fresh. It keeps my news interested and entertained and and it keeps me productive and moving forward without feeling like I'm getting stagnant. That's good. Um, Has your muse ever tried to confuse you and put a paranormal and a historical element, you know, (laughs) genre kind of thing? (laughs) He's like, I'm a mess with (laughs) the Not actually, no. I think the only thing that tends to want to creep in, in no matter what I'm writing, is sometimes I love gothic stuff. And so every now and then I'll be writing a scene and I'm like, why did this suddenly come off kind of ethereally gothic you know like why did I suddenly have to throw in a mansion that you know you feel might have a secret garden or or a secret in it or you know or there's shadows that shouldn't be there I'm like I always have to go wait oh yeah don't do that so probably the (laughs) only thing that ever pops up is my my tendency to love gothic-y Halloween-y things Mm. and they and you remove those you don't leave them in there for us to figure out that now that we know that's one of your favorite things we're gonna like we're gonna go back and like did she keep it in there So sometimes they kind of stay as long as I make sure they're not too obvious. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I definitely have a certain, a certain style that my readers recognize. There's um, I, I was, I always call my, my writing style like uh, timeless. And so even when you're reading in contemporary romance, there might be language and imagery in there that could easily make you feel like it would work in a historical romance, but at the same time, you're not ever going, wait, this feels too old timey. Why is it in this modern book? I I can't think of an example that I could throw you off the top of my head, but it's very subtle stuff. I just, I want every romance story that they read to feel just beautiful and magical, regardless of where it's set. So that's, that's another thing that I do. That's sort of the same across all stories. Yeah, no, it's, it's important to make sure that the way I kind of see it is when you're reading a book or listening to a book, it, you get immersed in it. So it's almost like going to the Walt Disney World parks where you're in that land and you don't right. see anything else. So you're when you're in that historical, you should be only looking at that historical and the same thing with the contemporaries. Exactly. But then again, 1980s consider vintage now. So you're going, oh my God, I think it's considered a historical. <laughs> oh gosh. Anyways. <laughs> uh, you know, it's those are things that because you get immersed and that's when you know, those details sometimes I know that as a, as a listener and a reader, specifically when I'm reading, 
it, the, with the eyeballs, sometimes I'll miss some of those little details because I'm so engrossed in the storytelling. And there are other readers that remember every single detail from the color of the eyes to the stone that was hanging out in the uh, on the dining room shelf. I mean, it's like, wow. And I'm always amazed by that level of details, but also because you guys are adding that stuff to the books. So that's also true as far as you guys being amazing and giving us all these details. And I'm like, I don't want to see your Bible because I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> no, I don't even have Bibles usually. It's all yeah. in my head. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I'm insane. I, I scare other people when I tell them my process because I'm like, I write the whole book in sequential order from first to last page. I don't jump around in scenes. A lot of authors do that. Mm-hmm. And I write everything by hand in a notebook. Oh, I love and that. People, yeah. People are just like, what? I'm like, yeah, but that's where the magic happens. You put a blinking cursor in front of me and you have me type and they've done studies that the act of typing triggers your left brain or your analytical side, whereas the act of writing or doodling or scribbling, that triggers your right brain. So it automatically, I feel more comfortable and more creative the second I have pen and paper, whereas a blinking cursor, I can, you know, I can add stuff and flesh out scenes and totally write new material, but just starting off a story from start to finish on the computer, I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, I get that. I'm I'm similar that way too. I'm much easier at just writing it out by hand. And I miss having those, you know, those moments where everything was just a quick notebook and a pen. Um yeah. <laughs> but so but I also collect notebooks. So do you collect notebooks too now since oh. you do the oh yeah. Yes. If you can see, <laughs> if you can see behind, like in my office, I have a shelf that has like, I think it's I had to turn around and look behind me. I have like three of those clear, beautiful, clear magazine file holders mm-hmm. that is just full of notebooks waiting to be written in. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't, I, I'm like that too. I'm like, how pretty. And then my sister's like, you have like 15 of them unopened. And, and I'm like, but this one's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I love going back to school shopping and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'll just grab a couple of these. Oh, now I have like 30. <laughs> As she's counting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, when I had people, I actually, for the first time ever had some people come in and I paid them to like organize part of my office, that part that I just desperately needed these two shelf areas. And oh my gosh, they did a fantastic job. But after they were done, I was like, I did not know I had that many notebooks. I am really embarrassed now because <laughs> they were all gathered into one place. And I was like, oh dear. <laughs> but now they're easier to grab. And so now you can also see them as you're getting low on inventory. That's true. And they you look go, really nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're not hidden away in shameful piles, like buried beneath other things now. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to send us a picture so we can put it on the post. Okay. of what your shelves look like. I'll, and I tell you, so you don't feel left out of, or, or weird. I will put a, a picture of my, so I have a bookshelf. So it's just one whole shelf of notebooks that are blank. So you're not the only one. And <laughs> okay, I'm sure good, our yeah. listeners are, oh. <laughs> will love to share that too. And realize that they're not the only ones that collect pretty notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at the very least though, we are very easy gift receivers. Just get us a pretty so notebook, true. you know, write a little sentiment in the beginning. That's what my sister does. She'll write something that maybe reflects us that year at the very beginning. And then her loving note, like, maybe you'll use it this time. And then, you know, <laughs> gives it to me. So it's, it's, we're easy. We're not that difficult. So that's good. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's so many different things out there for that. So it's, it's nice to, I'm still, as much as I am techie, I still love the notebook and the pen and the, you know, or pencil. Do you? Oh, yeah. 
are you particular? Because I do know this about some people. Are you particular? You're laughing and it makes me <laughs> makes me wonder. I think he's gonna say yes. Um, are you particular about the style of pen that you use? Yeah, I have two particularities, and the first one is actually with paper. I I only use college ruled, so that's like the one thing that everybody knows if they buy any paper. I'm like, it's got to be college ruled, not not wide ruled. Because mm-hmm. I know my approximate average word count per page. And I, and I literally, as I write, I don't plan any of my stories out in advance. I may know a couple things that happen, but as I write, I basically can almost spitball to the exact page where I need to end up. It's like the weirdest thing I've developed, like this magical talent to do it, but I need to have college rule to know that it's 375 words per average per page front, you know, and then 375 on the front, 375 on the back is my average. So I can calculate my progress accordingly. So if you get me wide ruled, I'm way off and I don't know what my average is. <laughs> so that that's my one requirement on paper on pen. They can't, it can't be too scratchy and it can't be, um, too jelly smeary. And so I found lately that the Office Depot brand Tull Pins, T-U-L. Yes. They really have been enjoying their, they have a, I think it's a point, uh, a 1.0 ballpoint. And I love it because it's so smooth. The ink comes out nice and clean and it doesn't smear and you don't have to press hard at all. So you're just rolling along. And that's, you know, when you write as much as I do, you know, I usually write about six pages a day and I need to have, my hand not be tired from pressing down. I need to not get ink smears on, on my palm and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of been the perfect pen that I found lately. And I love it. So naturally I bought like a bazillion packs of them. (laughs) Yes. No, those are really good pens. I have those too. (laughs) (laughs) And the same thing with the college rule. Um, and so I, I, those are good pens. So if you guys use, I mean, this is definitely not a sponsored thing. It's just literally when you find a good pen, you want to use it, especially because it doesn't smear and things like that. So check out those tools, T-U-L, um, <laughs> serious. And they come in different cute colors. So you can, if you, if you prefer more of the basic black and black, you know, black and blue kind of thing they do, or they'll have more, you know, for, for us individuals that might do pink and gold for our offices. Yeah, that one. That was mine. <laughs> they even had a special edition pack that had like, it was more jelly, but I still found that I liked them and they were just kind of shimmery and they came in these fun colors. And I found I was matching the primary color on my cover to the color of the pen that I was working on for that story. And I thought was like my new obsession for like six months was pen matching and cover matching as I was writing. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> it's Okay. Yeah. We definitely have a lot of things in common. <laughs> As we continue, this is going to be, this is going to be good. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to these genres, um, what is it specifically about the historical? Do you have anything that you're going, oh my God, yes, this is why I love writing it so much. I know you were saying like the Gothic from that perspective, but what about the other genres? Um, well, the historical is really fun because I, I write, so I, I call it, I call it writing historicals for people that may not like historicals. So mm-hmm. if you've ever read one, and you're like, oh, this is so boring. Just not my thing. You know, like I've heard that from a lot of people. I'm like, well, maybe try mine because I write them super character driven. The historical details are just window dressing. So they're accurate, but they're not boring you for paragraphs on end with how everybody danced the ball. I'm like, I get you in, I get you to the good stuff. I get you to the action. And I let my characters really be 
interesting. So every single book is different. You won't have a bad boy in every book. You won't have gentlemen in every book. You know, you won't have blue stocking, little nerd heroines in every book. You'll have feisty fashionistas who are secretly running spirings out of France and nobody suspects them. You, you have totally different characters in every book, you know, be, like, like kind of like reality. So every little adventure is different and they're all really fun. And for anybody that likes bromance relationships, I really develop the relationships of the men as friends. So you really get a strong reading experience when you read through the entire like League of Rogues series of mine. It's just so much fun to go from beginning to end and feel like mm -hmm. you know all those guys so intimately as people. And yeah. on contemporary romance, I really kind of like to sort of, again, emphasize the, the relationships. So like the, the Dark Desire audiobook that just came out, um, that is book five in my um, Surrender series, which really involves these guys on the Gold Coast that live in these old... Gatsby era oil mansions so they're all like from rich old blue blood families but they're these billionaire guys that are earning their place in the world they're either you know art collectors or they're running tech companies and they all kind of are in a little bit of a kink and there's always like a, a really cool adventure thriller suspense element so it's not like I call them romantic suspense but they're not like your standard police cop procedural or serial killer on the loose, you know, and you fall in love with the detective on the case. Not, not that there's anything wrong with those, but I, I don't write that kind of romantic suspense. So I kind of just do my weird version <laughs> of every genre, if that makes sense. Like I just say like, I mean, it's the Lauren version of a historical or the Lauren version of a contemporary romance. <laughs> I love that. I love so it. yeah. And like with my paranormals, um, I really develop the, the world building is pretty strong, but it's not like a reader won't even know that they've learned the world until the very end. And they're like, oh, I really know everything about this world, but I didn't spend six paragraphs at the beginning of the book learning about it. I jumped right into the story, into the good stuff. So, and I, and I love to work historical tidbits into the paranormal stuff, particularly because you're dealing with 5,000 year old dragons or you're dealing with witches or uh, vampires. And there's just so much you can do historically with that so I can tie everything together and one of the things that I do is I do what are called easter eggs so if you read every single book of mine you'll notice occasionally that they might be in the exact same universe because they all exist in my head so I thought what if they all really existed in real life so for example in my dragon shifter book you might have these two dragon shifters going into a gentleman's club in London to have drinks or whatever and they look at one of the old portraits from the 1800s on the wall. And it's totally one of the men from my League of Rogues historical series. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, just little things like that. Yeah. This is where I probably would miss that level of detail because I'm so engrossed in like they're going into this club kind of thing. But the other readers are going to be like, oh, my God, that that picture, that painting. And and then I then I have to go back and reread it and go aha that's what that was. So oh you yeah. you'd know because the the dragon makes a comment on it. So if you had actually read the the League of Rogues series first, you'd be mm -hmm. like oh my god it's freaking Charles it's Charles he's on the wall because Charles was like a major character for like nine books in that in that historical series mm -hmm. he was like in every book for like nine straight books. <laughs> so yeah so you would know him you'd be like oh my god what is Charles doing there. Yeah. And I love when authors do that because what happens then is that if you end up starting 
in that paranormal. And then you're going, hmm, because you read the reviews or you're having conversations in groups and stuff. And then you're going, oh, really? And then you'll go back and start reading that historical series. Yeah, to find exactly. out. Yeah. And then jump around again. So it's it's really cool when authors do that and interconnect. And I love how you say, well, you know, they could be in the same world. They're in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it drives my editor crazy, but I think it's really fun. <laughs> mm, yeah. Editors are particular about certain things, but it's, it's okay. That they're, they're, they're there to make sure that's, you know, it makes sense and things are spelled correctly and all that other fun stuff and, you know, timelines <laughs> arrive, but you're the writer you get to do all that fun other he stuff. always like comments on the edit he'll like put a little bubble next to the appearance of one of these easter eggs and he goes really again <laughs> <laughs> see that's good it's good to i know a lot of people are like oh you know the relationships for you know you guys as authors with your editors is important you know when it comes down to being able to discover these things and have that really where they can do those notes and you're going yeah whatever um or oh yeah i gotta change that you know so that's important too it's always nice to kind of learn that stuff when we have these conversations or when the author shares it because sometimes you guys get online and start sharing you know screenshots uh, yeah. <laughs> <of> those notes <laughs> yeah i definitely do there's some funny ones he'll put, i have a guy editor so he puts lots of really funny guy reactions to some of the things that the girls love because he does not like <laughs> alpha heroes so whenever he thinks i have a, a hero that's being too alpha beasty and growling he'll get like a a picture of beauty and the beast beast and he'll put it like the beast growling like picture <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and just stuff like that cracks me up that's awesome <laughs> i love that <laughs> mm-hmm. you have mentioned um that gothic sometimes pops into your um books and you're going no 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 I'm not writing that is there a subgenre that you have not written in yet that you want to well I funnily enough I actually have written in gothic and that was that was really enjoyable and I actually was for a class this past October trying to go back to gothic and I hadn't let myself write gothic in like two years maybe three years now and I was like oh my gosh how do I even write a gothic because I've been so training myself not to write gothic so I was like oh god I gotta relearn this I gotta let my spooky out again you know (laughs) it was like so challenging (laughs) let the spooky out (laughs) I think the only thing I probably couldn't do is sweet romance that being said my cozy mysteries have to be sweet so Mm -hmm. they're not super romantic but I but since they're cozy I don't feel like I'm too limited just because I'm not trying to make a super believable romance, really hardcore believable, but at the same time, you know, be not sexual. So the cozies are kind of easier because I can just go, well, a little bit of light romance and no one's going to want any more than that. And it's fine. And I don't have to worry about anything. So that that's probably sweet romance is probably the only thing I, at least right now, I don't see myself writing. Okay. Until you get into it again, and then you're like, hey, that's a cute notebook. It's sweet. Let's do a sweet romance. <laughs> you're going, Viv, stop. Do not give me ideas. I have enough stuff on my platter. Yeah, seriously, um, <laughs> I was, literally, I had people pitching projects to me all week, and I was like, stop giving me wonderful ideas. I hate all of you. <laughs> like, my stress level just went through the roof because now I want to do all these things. Yeah, it's almost like you want to create a jar where, you know, instead of like coins for swearing, it's just a piece of papers with the people's ideas. Just put it in the jar. I'll get to it later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such yeah. a good idea. 
<laughs> I need like a virtual jar, you know, where I'm like, yeah, just form your idea and then I will review it when I want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And just in case you're just for, you know, shits and giggles, or if you're thinking about doing a short story for the listeners or the readers for the holiday, sometimes those are fun, you know, just a little out of your comfort, but also totally in it. So it's cool. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Within the subgenres, there's a variety of tropes. And nowadays, it seems sometimes they're talking more about the tropes than they actually are about this, the genre of the subgenre of romance. Do you have a favorite trope to write and why? I really like enemies to lovers. And I actually haven't written a ton of what I would call like hardcore enemies to lovers. And I think it's because I haven't read a lot of books that have been like seems like most of the stuff I've read in the past has been sort of a mix of tropes. So I haven't gone hunting for like directly enemies to lovers except in dark romances, but I, I really enjoy that kind of, you know, sometimes dubious liking of each other and sometimes even dubious consenting. And, and I, and I think, but I also think light enemy to lovers, like romantic comedy enemy to lovers stuff is fun too. I also love, forced proximity I I just love that one and I tend to write forced proximity quite a lot because that one is just there's a million scenarios you can come up with you know especially in historicals that one's a really good one Mm -hmm. to work with yeah those are all very popular now and that that friends to enemies to lovers tends to also be more like that um you were mentioning multiple tropes in one book it's also like the office romance yeah (laughs) that happens a lot and I'm like why can't it be like a bakery and a restaurant I mean I know there's some out there like that but you know (laughs) yeah not everyone's a billionaire at least not when I was working in the office but anyway (laughs) billionaires are are just more fun yeah I guess it's a little limitless and you know what we think may be a limitless opportunity as far as lifestyle and things like that but also to kind of know that they still have the same problems the rest of us regular folks have it's always nice exactly (laughs) you mentioned how you write your the book from start to finish is there a scene or a type of scene that you love to write so you know so when you're getting to that point where you know it's coming you know what's that scene oh I always kind of like the first kiss scene you know, no matter what kind it is, whether it's a sweet kiss or a stolen kiss or a forced kiss or a pretend kiss, you know, that that's always kind of my favorite scene. And then the, the first scene where they end up in bed is always my favorite, like the build up to that moment, like what causes those two characters to decide or impulsively decide to do to do that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I really enjoy the, those kind of build ups to those two scenarios. What about the opposite, the more the hardest to write? Do you have one? The black moments where you have to totally hurt your character because, you know, reader, I don't think readers think about it too much, but I was talking to someone the other day and I was explaining why I was kind of on an emotional kind of, not bender, but I kind of like, I get into these moods that when I'm writing the really emotionally painful things, I have to so feel those emotions myself to write them that you kind of feel emotionally unstable sometimes when you're having to get really, really, really deep because you're going, I'm having to hurt somebody as one character. And then that in turn hurts the other character who did the hurting. And then they're both hurting and then you're hurting because you're having to write the hurt, you know? And so it's, it can be really, really painful. And, 
and then there's there are scenes too where your characters aren't hurting each other but they're getting hurt by outside forces and and I always try to make everything very realistic so like in one of my Emma Castle books I wrote a Tarzan retelling like a modern day Tarzan retelling and I had a scene where you know that the parents have to die at the beginning and there is this horrible scene where these these you, you know these um poachers in the in the jungle who were found a stash of gold and were stealing it from this you know ancient you know African tribe and stuff and they were these two people and their child witnessed it and they went and they ran away from the bad guys and when the bad guys caught up with them the father pleads for the life of his family and he is shot in front of his wife and child and then the mother puts her herself in front of the her, her you know two-year-old son and or yeah he's two and you know is blocking him and begging and saying please he's he I, he needs his mother he won't survive out here if i am if i'm not here you know and she's doing this inches from her husband's dead body and they shoot her in cold blood and then they leave the child to die and you know i just i remember writing that scene and just weeping because i was having to do the most horrible thing that you could ever imagine which is kill the parents of a child and then later on when he you know is raised by gorillas in the forest and then this girl is you know touring and she gets separated from her true group when they get attacked by by poachers and she finds him and he rescues her and they she figures out that he had to get here somehow and she takes he takes her back to the plane but he doesn't he was too young to really remember he repressed a lot of what happened and he goes into the plane and the skeletons of his parents are still in there where the people had put them and they're sitting in these plane chairs and the jungle has consumed everything. And he calls them the old gods. And she looks at them and she's like, they're his parents' bodies because she finds a photo of them, you know, in the cockpit. And she just, and in and, and the look on his face when she tries to tell him, she's like, they're your family. And then everything kind of comes back and he breaks. I mean, this beautiful man of the jungle is just breaking and howling out in, in the forest. And you know, you're just hurting with him. And it was really a gut-wrenching scene to write. And, and as powerful as it is, it was agonizing, you know? So those are all the hardest to write. I know sometimes we always mess with you guys online about, oh, you know, you killed off a character that we love and you're going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and those are, I mean, or you guys also have those, um, like mugs that say, you know, tears of the listeners and the readers um, based on what you make us, you know, read from these stories and make us cry. But um, I know usually sometimes people will, you know, because the authors do jump around, they will skip that difficult scene for now, <laughs> get back to it later. Um, I think most of them has been more on the lines of the sex scenes. Um, do you find that at all difficult or really easy to write the, the more intimate scenes? I think in the last year or so, it's been a little harder to write sex scenes. I think because with COVID and everything that's happened, my brain doesn't feel as safe or relaxed in this world. And so I feel a little less, um, I feel silly, but I feel a little less romantic in some ways. So like my primal instincts don't want to think about sex or passion or any of that so it has been a little more challenging just in the last 2020 and 2021 to write those scenes i think and mm -hmm. so I've, I've been a little disappointed in myself that 
I haven't like written more scenes per book. I feel like I've trimmed them down a little bit in the last couple of books, which they're still very powerful scenes and they're very important, but I, I wish that the books, the last couple of books I'd written had been a little sexier. I just, I just hadn't felt it when I was writing it. Mm, that's interesting. I think a lot of us are feeling off kilter when it comes down to a lot of different things and especially with the current world that we're living in. But it's also like, it's okay. I, I sometimes feel that the sex scenes can be utilized as fillers a little bit to a story. Oh, so yeah. for, for, for me, <laughs> well, it's I'm like, at, at that point, I'm like, can we just categorize it as an erotica versus a contemporary? Because it's just, you know, but, um, but that's where I say that if the writing is really good, whether it has one or two scenes that that's more intimate and sexual, that's okay. Because you're getting every, that angst, you're getting that desire, that passion before that leads to that intimate scene. So yeah, I totally understand that. <laughs> you busted out laughing like, oh my gosh, you said that. I'm like, yes, yes, I did say that. <laughs> but, you know, as, as I keep thinking, there's like these groups that I belong to on Facebook for historical romance and they actually like will be mad if you don't have enough sex in these books. And so they're like, well, Lauren Smith's only a two, she only has two scenes in a book. And I'm like, not always, some of them have more, but you know, I started to think about it. I'm like, yeah, I guess most of them have like two and a half good scenes mm-hmm. where, you know, two and a half really good sex scenes. And, and then there's kissing outside of that. But I thought, man, how much are these other people? You know, because I don't <laughs> tend to read a lot of people that are writing contemporaneously, contemporaneously <laughs> because I don't, want to accidentally feel influenced or my worst fear is always having a reader go well I just read so and so and you're just your books just like theirs and I'm like no don't say that so I always try to read like the classics and the stuff from the 90s and you know and and stick to kind of those books because I feel like they don't influence me too much and I'm not too worried about so I but I guess these are the people who are writing super sexy books I'm like man I who knew well, I was prudish? <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on the genre and then also where you're hanging out in these groups. Because I will say, I know some historical authors that have two and a half scenes and they've been dinged for having too much sex in the historical oh, yeah. or yeah. too many, you know, you know, curse words and things like that when or they're like fuck was never used and they're like no, no no we have historical references that the word fuck was used at this time frame thank you <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and then you'll also have those individuals that are more about that sex scene versus some of the other components of the story and that's where mm-hmm. I, I always kind of fall more in the middle I'm more about the story if you can take the sex scene down the story still is good then that's great that's how it should be I know I'm probably getting a couple of things for that. I'm sorry. I do love my sexy time. I really do. But at the same time, then at that point, you're going story, 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 get me to the sex, you know? So yeah, that that's exactly how I feel when I write. I'm like, if you take the sex scenes out, you should still have the full story, but it should feel amazing when you put the sex scenes in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if you have like, I've definitely read a lot of books where I'm like, there's too much sex in this for it to feel natural. And so Sometimes I do have stories that are a little less sexy because the characters themselves are not people that would be, you know, having sex right away. They're someone that given their past, given their history, their mind state, they're going to take their time. And then other people are like, oh, they're enemies to lovers. They're in it right away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going, well, they're not that much of an enemy, are they now? <laughs> 
all for I'm all for hate sex, but damn, mm -mm, mm -mm, give me a little time, (laughs) give me a little time. Yeah, I know. And that's true. I think sometimes um, we will miss some of that or the author will just think that that's what we want um, based on their, you know, readership. But at the same time, when those characters are saying that they have some traumatic experience or it's not within them, or like you said, Emily's to lovers, you kind of need to wait a little bit, just a little, it doesn't have to be a whole lot, but just a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All those reviews are like, that. I mean, reviews are opinions anyways, but those are sometimes are just funny to read because I will buy a book if it says too much sex or, not enough or too many bad words and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, thanks. Next. (laughs) I know you guys get asked a lot, like, are any of these characters based on people that you know? But I like to ask if any of the uh, the characters you've created, are you more connected to? Yeah, I guess I was gonna say, I, I actually never really based the characters on anybody I know. I kind of, the joke is I actually sort of based the characters on facets of myself. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of me or some version of me, you know, because people are infinitely complex. And so there's always little slivers of me in every character, you know, and even the, even the heroes, you know, not just the heroines. And sometimes it's actually, the heroes are more me than anything. Um, and, and so I really, you know, like creating these, these characters that you feel connected to. And I, I suppose, I don't, I don't want to say I have favorite characters or ones that I feel more connected to, but I think the characters that I've been in their world the longest, I feel I know better. And so I, I don't know if that I'm more connected, but I just know them better. And I would think that the League of Rogues, my first series the long historical series that my first book came out in 2014 I know them the best and so and I think it's just because I've they've been in my head the longest nice way of saying I'm not going to pick a favorite it's okay (laughs) I know these are like your kids I get it we know I always say that I I always enjoy the one the story that I'm writing at the moment and then when I'm done I'm I'm then most excited and loving the story that I'm writing next. You know, it's always whatever I'm currently working on is, is the fun thing at the moment and the favorite thing at the moment. Yeah. Well, that's why I flipped the question on because I know it's hard for you guys as authors to sometimes say that there is a favorite because there's also other factors. It could have been that you had a really good time writing this book or they're not your favorite because you were having a really hard time in, you know, regular life while having to write this book. And so that's where I think sometimes that being more connected to or having more of that um, feeling comfortable. And so what you were saying about the, the League of Rogues, that that's something because you've been writing in it for so long and the longest that you're very comfortable in that world. And we tend to hang out where we're comfortable. So that's kind yeah, of- Yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to jump back into it when I know I have to write a story. I don't have to, you know, because I'm a panster and I don't plot any of my books out, I learn about my characters as I write them. So when I'm jumping into the league verse, it's like I'm coming home. I'm like, oh, I already all, I know these people. And maybe I don't fully know the heroine and hero yet, but I may have teased them out as intros in another book. So I kind of already have them in my head. And then all the secondary characters that I would normally worry about introducing, I'm like, it's the cast I already know. They're all the same people, you know, and like all the dudes in the ballroom are all the same dudes I've always known. I know who's going to spill the punch on the other guy. I know who's going to trip somebody in the middle of a quadrille. You know, you know, I know these things. 
Yeah, they're like the friends that you go home to yeah. after you, you know, that exactly. you just shoot the shit with. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I get it. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times when you guys write these series and have characters that are popping back in and out and or that the character's best friend, especially since you do write and include some of that bromance among friends, has there ever been a secondary character in a book that you're like, this one is not going to be getting a book because he's just popping in or popping out or yeah. And then everybody's like, oh, my God, we want their story. Has that ever happened? Not so much, only because I see potential in every secondary character. I think there was a character that I I hadn't planned on anything. And then I surprised myself when I was writing a, a novella that's coming out, I think, actually this month in a box set. And I was going along with the hero and heroine. Everything was great. And then suddenly they were at a house party and this second dude rolls up and I'm like oh my god Freddie Ponsonby is coming to this Christmas party I didn't know Freddie was coming and then I'm like oh Freddie and I always make him as the butt of every joke with with the lead guys because they're all these badass aristocrats and he's like this dude that's obsessed with fashion and everything and totally a dandy and stuff and turns out he's actually really clever he's he's really handsome I've never said he he wasn't handsome but I never really took him seriously but he demanded that I take him seriously. And now I'm like, oh, everyone is, I know the second this novella is out in this box set, I'm going to get like a million emails on my inbox, like 24 hours later, like, when's Freddie's yes. story? And I've already got a plan. <laughs> As a reader, we love that because we're going, ooh, it's almost like a hint. I know sometimes you guys have other books planned in between, but just, it's just knowing it is going to happen. It's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I can imagine. I love that feeling. I mean, after 10 years of being in a romance and in this world, I still get all giddy about stuff like that. I'm like, oh, is it going to happen? And there's been some authors too that purposely drag it out. And I'm looking at you, Donna Grant. And, um, and I, I definitely <laughs> feel like I'm, I'm guilty of that because I think my readers are starting to get trained knowing that every character is going to get a story, but I think they're worried about how long it's going to take for that story to come out. So I had this character in the league that's not the one that I was just talking about, but this other guy who is he, you've, you've known him since book four. Well, he's not going to be until book 17. And I'm on book. I just released book 15. So they don't have that much longer to wait, maybe like another year and a half, but they're all going crazy. I get questions about him all the time. So I always reply with the email, like, here's the cover of his book. It's ready. It's going to be number 17. I promise. (laughs) Well, see, at least you have that. Um, I mentioned real quickly, I mentioned her name, Donna Grant. She has her dragon series and it was just that one story that we all wanted. And it was almost like it became a game for her. She's like, maybe this one. No, it's the other one. I think like 20 books down, we finally got it. And we're going, Oh, thank you. Finally. Um, But she would always, maybe this one. I'm like, y'all are teases. Not loving you, but whatever. I do love you. Bye. <laughs> and it's probably because she wasn't ready to write that story. Because that's true. There have been times where I'm like, I know this character is going to be a story, but I don't know what it is yet. So I have to wait until it comes to me. Because I that is want, true. You never want to force that particular oh God, story. No. So this character that book 17, I've been letting this story percolate in my brain a long time. That way, by the time I get ready to write, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give him the story they've dreamed of. <laughs> He's probably thinking, finally. 
Yeah. They're going to read it in 24 hours and go, when's the next story? And I'm like, oh my God, guys. <laughs> I know. I always feel so bad for you guys when you get those questions because I'm like, dude, they just released it, you know, and that took you guys so long to get it writing and processing the whole process. But I know at the same time as a listener and a reader, I'm like, when do we get the next one? <laughs> so I always feel so bad. I'm like, oh God, how are they going to answer this one? But then you guys will give us a, a different book from a different series and kind of like rotate how you do yours. So that's always good. Yeah, you know, that is just, good. It distract us, right? Don't, why don't you? Um, <laughs> you said that um, the character was coming to you and saying, you need to pay attention to me. So you do hear the characters as individuals coming to you or is yes. it just particular? Uh-huh. No, it's it. it so I, I write everything kind of like I'm watching a movie in my head. And a lot of times, I don't even know what's going to happen till it happens. And so I'm surprised. And some of my best scenes in certain books have completely caught me off guard. And I didn't even know. And I'm like, Oh, Oh my God. Like, like this scene. And I had a, I had a stepbrother trilogy and this American girl fell in love with a British hero and he's a future Earl, but it's modern day. And they're hiding at his mom's country house for Christmas. And they're like having sex in the library and they, they're enjoying their time together. And he's literally in the grand hallway talking about his dad and what of a control freak his dad is as the doorbell rings and he opens the door, not even thinking about it. He's like, yeah, my dad's a real date. And he opens the door and his dad is standing there and he's like, uh, <laughs> I didn't even see that coming. And the dad's like, I'm a what? <laughs> a walking dictionary. <laughs> yeah, it was so it was so great. I was like, I didn't even know that the dad was going to show up, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. I love it when you guys share those little tidbits because it's, you know, we don't see it coming, but it's to have you guys also be surprised and have that dun 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 kind of moment is great. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely magical for me when I write. I know a lot of other authors like plan everything out and I'm like, I don't know how you guys do that. I'm like, for me, it's all about the mystery of what happens next. <laughs> it's almost like you're reading the story that you're writing at the same time as a exactly. reader. And That's exactly it. it. Yeah. I'm just guessing ahead of myself, like what's going to happen. I think this might happen. Oh, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Will he go left? Will he go right? Yeah. Will he open the door? Dun, dun, dun. It's always fun. Those are those are moments too. Where you're going, okay, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> I think it's that uh, there's a couple of gifts out there about that wanting us to go into that next chapter and then the battery dies or something else happens and we have to stop reading because, you know, life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes down to the writing style that you have, and then translating it into audiobooks. Has that shifted anything in your style of writing? I there is something that I I was I do that now that might that kind of drives my editor crazy. And when I write internal thoughts now, I, I do make a change where I'll say like something like, um, oh great, this is a disaster, comma, she thought, because I'm I want to make it clear to the re- the listener when they're listening that it's an internal thought and not dialogue that somebody said out loud because I realized that could be really confusing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I make kind of like little changes to kind of clear up what's internal and external for for audiobooks. Okay, less, less tags and stuff like that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to re- you know get into that audiobook format? Um. Actually, I have been wanting to be on audiobooks ever since I was little <laughs> because when I was a child, my mom would take us to our local library and they had uh, books on tape and they didn't have any kids' books on tape. 
And I've always wanted to listen to books on my little, I had, I had a walk, those little walk girl, but, uh, or technically it was the, technically it was a talk girl from the Home Alone movie. <laughs> it was a talk girl, like the one in the movie that he had in, in New York in the movie too. I had one of those to play my tapes on. And so the only thing I could listen to were these adult sci-fi books by Ben Bova. Cause they were like one of the few things you could get on tape at our library. And I just remember thinking, you have to be really famous and really amazing to get your books on audio. So I remember when I signed my first contract with my very first publisher, I told my agent at the time, who I'm, I'm no longer with, I said, I'm really excited. Can we shop audio rights? And I remember she told me, you know, you're new. It's with a small house. No one's going to buy your audio. You shouldn't ever plan on having audiobooks bought up by anybody. Well, within the month of the first book releasing Tantor was knocking on my publisher's door and saying, we want to buy the next four in the series. And my publisher was like, we've only published one. And they were like, we want the series. (laughs) So (laughs) I remember when I got that, I was so thrilled because I thought someone had told me this would never happen. It happened. And I remember when I listened, I got, they sent me actual CDs in the mail in 2014, even though it also came out like on audible. Mm -hmm. And I put that first CD in and they said, this is Wicked Designs by Lauren Smith. And I just burst into tears. <laughs> I, just, I just started crying because I was like, I'm it. I'm an audiobook now. This is real. Some company paid money to me to make this. And now other people can listen. Like it just, it took my, my whole concept of success, pers- personal success mm-hmm. to another level. And I'm not talking like I did not make a lot of money, but it was just, it was the most exciting thing to just feel that I'm like, I'm in that format now because that felt so legitimate to me. Yeah. It's just like a lot of times people used to be more like if they made it to like the hardcover edition, that was like a good, you know, milestone kind of a thing. Or if you were doing vinyl and then the transition into like tapes and cassettes and then now into CDs and now downloads and stuff like that. Technology has changed a lot, kids. Um, (laughs) And it's always those, those little milestones that, and that's so awesome that even as a child, that's what you wanted to be able to read your books and listen to them. Yeah. It's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other, I mean, you get, I, i always say that the, the book has to have its good bones and the audio book can elevate it into a, a different experience and a better experience than just reading it just because it's almost like the performance. So as you were writing it and you're seeing it in front of you, I do the same thing as far as reading it, but it's very similar when I'm listening to it. I kind of see the movie play in front of me and to not have to worry about certain pronunciations of names and locations. Um, It's always a fun (laughs) thing. Otherwise it it would be like, and he left from this other part. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really a good thing to read and stuff like that from that perspective. But what is your process for casting your audiobooks? Have you been involved in casting your audiobooks? How does that look for you? Yeah. um, The first well, when I worked with Tantor, they always asked me, do I approve of this? And they would give me an idea of someone. I would listen and usually they pick somebody that I actually liked. And then as I got deeper into my contracts with them, they're like, here's a couple of options. If I told them like ahead of time when I signed something, I'll say, hey, this is a pirate book. I need somebody that can do Cornwall accents, but also London accents and then, you know, Jamaican accents. And so they would give me some options. They would say, we've got these two people. Here's. And, and, I, and I would even say none of their samples have something that I look for. Can you each have them do a cold read of like my first of, of a particular 10 pages? And so they would actually send me 
personalized personalized auditions, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. And then when I started uh, self-producing audiobooks, I found that even more rewarding because it really opened up who I could work with because Tantor won't work with narrators above a certain price point. So there were bigger narrators that they would never hire because they wouldn't pay for it, no matter how much I asked. And so it was really exciting to start adding some big names to my bucket list of, oh my gosh, I got so-and-so to narrate these people that have followings, they have fan groups, because it helps get your book out there. Plus they narrate really, really amazingly. And so it just gives that extra, like really into this and you feel the passion in their voice when they're actually reading your story and it feels far more emotional. I definitely care about who narrates and I try to do the best to pick. I've had a couple narrators in the past, just because at the time when I was first starting out on my self-produced, I didn't always know everybody. I was new. There were not all the production companies there are now that help you find people. And um, and I didn't have personal emails of narrators to say, hey, I'm going to have you do the guy voice. Who do you recommend who can do girl voices like this? And, mm-hmm. you know, so not being able to communicate with those kind of people early on. I, I had a couple that at some point I'm like, oh, you know, someday when I've got some extra money, I'll I'm going to probably, you know, redo, you know, maybe two or three audiobooks and, and get them fixed exactly the way I want, but they're not terrible. You know, they, they sound fine. I just was like, Oh, I could have a better narrator if I wanted someday. <laughs> yeah. Or one that fits the character a little bit better because now yeah. you, you're in the game more and you realize that they are these different voices. I think that, you know, casting is like any skill set you, you learn and you start figuring out who the players are and what it is in the quality of the voice. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I love, you know, fill in the blank narrator's voice. And then you ask them why. And they give you stuff like uh, sexy. And I'm going, okay, but what is it about their voice? Is it is there a timber? Is there a tone? Is there a bit of a growl underneath certain things? And they're going, he just sounds sexy. I'm like, got it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> like, makes sense. I get it. We want them to sound sexy. But sometimes, especially when you guys are writing the books, before it used to be he's tall blue eyes and blondes and we would hope that the cover model was tall blue eyes and blonde not always but most of the time yes <laughs> uh, and now you know and he said it with a russian accent and there is no russian accent we're going to question it um and the same thing when it comes to that oh and his sexy growly voice and he's not growly you're going mm, lauren <laughs> We need to recast or stuff like that. It's uh, always yeah. a fun thing. Yeah. But you've had um, Audible, I think is saying about 52 books that of yours that have been put into audio. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've learned to kind of give a gauge because I just went through the list again. I'm going, that is not a Lauren Smith book. <laughs> they have you in there with some like master your mind business and life. I'm like, no, that's not her. Um <laughs> They didn't even list the narrators. I'm like, oh, Audible do better. But anyways, you were mentioning the different narrators and stuff like that, that you've now have about 50 plus books. You've been doing it all on your own and producing them yourself. Is there a narrator or a few narrators that you still have on your wish list that you want to work with that you have yet to cast? I would really love to work with uh, Joe Arden. I'm actually working with... Um, Blue Nose Audio, which is a company he works with, but mm-hmm. I haven't been able to get on his schedule yet because I don't think I've had the right project yet. I don't have a lot of contemporaries running around at the moment, but I'm hopeful someday I can, you know, I'm never in a rush. So I always tell the narrators that I really hope to work with. I'm like, whenever you can schedule it is fine. I never, I, because of how I, my, my writing works, I never 
get a book done in advance enough that there would be time to do the audiobook on the same release day. So I'm always like, you know what, if it comes out a year later, it comes out a year later. I just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which sucks because as an audio listener, I'm like, oh my God, why, why can't I listen to it the same day? I totally understand yep. the frustration, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, schedules. And also I don't always have like $5,000 sitting in my back pocket <laughs> for an audio book. <laughs> so I gotta save for that. You know, they don't, readers don't understand. I'm like, I'm not rich. I gotta save. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, 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 there's a lot of timing that goes into it, but also the importance of like that casting. If do we either cast the one that you think is perfect for that character, but he's not available until six months from now, or do we try to find someone that's going to be, eh, okay. For that character so we definitely prefer it's okay to wait we i know we complain and we'll bitch about it but oh, it's okay we can wait we understand it's okay um what about the ladies do you have any of those um our audible queens that you're like oh i need to cast that oh you know i i'm less aware of the of the girl narrators than i am the male narrators i and I'm actually not nearly so aware, I think, as, as other people. And, and I guess it's because I'm pretty chill when it comes to listening. So I know that there's like certain people that they'll be like, oh, my God, I only listen to so-and-so books. I can't stand anybody else's voice. You know, I'm like, <laughs> actually, like, I'm really like, unless you sound like you're 80 years old and you're reading for a 20 year old, I'm usually like, OK, I'm buying it. So and, and I usually get so into the story, I don't even think about who's narrating it. So it, it's kind of, I just, I don't know. I don't even really think about the girls that much, but I, I have loved working with Lucy Rivers and Stella Hunter have been um, two of my favorites and, and Heather Wilds for my Regency series has been fabulous. So I really, and I continue to want to work with those ladies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Great pair. Uh, great there. As far as ladies go. Yeah. Heather Wild is really, really good. I like her accent work and all that fun stuff and lucy rivers he's one of my favorites so that's one of those like we end up having like fangirling and and girl crushing on them we're going we don't play for that <laughs> same team but damn mm-mm, yep you're good <laughs> um so you have the most recent audio book that has been released is dark desire and it's narrated by vivian larue and zachary johnson and it's produced by audiobook empire can you tell us a little bit about dark desire obviously with no spoilers but yeah tell us, tell us, tell us. <laughs> So essentially, it's a book about um, a young woman who was studying uh, at Moscow University, sort of like a study abroad program, and she was um, abducted by a Russian mobster and actually held as a human trafficking victim. But that's not, the book starts after that's happened and after she's been freed from that. And so it's her journey, um, finding her way back to love and sex on her own timeline of healing. And so it, I would say that there, there could be some potential trigger warnings, but I don't describe any graphic, uh, sexual assaults or violence. You just know that it happened and that she went through it. And then the hero is a, um, a Russian guy who he recognizes that she was already interested in BDSM before, this thing happened to her and he's interested in it too. And he wants to protect her. And then she tells him, you know, I'm ready to be healed. I, I want to move on. I want to reclaim my, my life and my body. And I don't want this past to control my own happiness, both emotional and physical. So she kind of convinces him to 
sort of experiment with her and build back up her, her sexual confidence. And he agrees, but it's kind of a really cute thing where he's a dom, but at the same time, she's a hundred percent in control of everything that happens. Mm-hmm. And so it really is a true representation of a BDSM relationship where the dom is really listening to her codes for safety and, and all of that, and really paying attention to her and never going too far for anything. So it's, it's a really weird, sweet dom in that story where he's still a, a Russian badass, but he's absolutely devotedly sweet to her in all the ways that he should be. And, and it's a, it's just a really um, important story because I, I wrote it for any woman that has been through either harassment or assault. Like, I mean, most of us have had some type of incident, unfortunately happened to us. And I thought it was important that we always focus on the, the tragedy, the trauma and how they'll probably never get over it and stuff. And I thought that's so not what we deserve as women. We deserve to know that we are allowed to heal. Yes. We'll always know that something happened to us, but at the same time, we are stronger and infinitely more than that one incident. And so this book was my tribute to any survivors of any type of harassment or assault to say that, you know, you're all beautiful and you're all wonderful and you deserve the world. And this is the story of one person getting their world back on their terms. That's great. Thank you for that. I know that sometimes the, the heroines are, you know, even as us, as human beings, we always look at the worst of our moments and try to, we end up defined by those moments. And we have to kind of look at them as a scar in, in our lifeline and grow from it better improve and know that we're not going to allow that moment in that life take us down and continue to move forward and be a better individual. So thank you for that. Did you listen to the audiobook? I did. I you really like it? I, I did. Well, <laughs> it was so fun because this was I mean I've had books where you've had Irish and British and Australian accents but this was my first book with a Russian accent that was a contemporary setting read by a guy, which I'd had Lucy Rivers read my Russian dragons, which was really fun, but mm-hmm. it was really a different experience to hear a man read the Russian male parts. And it, it just was more sexy, more fun. And just, it really felt like I was in a movie. Yeah. Zachary is phenomenal when it comes down to accents um, I actually had him on the podcast um, during the summer and, oh my God, he just went into it. And I'm going, dude, you're like flipping a switch without even noticing that the switch was flipped. And <laughs> it, it, that always like gets me like, oh my God, like usually I would think, okay, I'm going to start now, maybe start with this word and no, they're like seamless, like, Brah! and I'm like, wow. Okay. Thank you, Zachary. Can you do it again? <laughs> <laughs> We're a sucker for accents. I'm not going to lie. We really are. <laughs> Yeah. And the Russian one, people tend to think like, that's not sexy. I'm like, have you heard? And then I fill in the blank, depending on like Iggy Toma does a phenomenal, sexy uh, Russian accent. And so does Zach. So, yeah. And it, and he did a great job because there was a bad Russian villain. And he, I told him, I said, I want this guy to sound like this. And I want the hero to sound different this way. And he just nailed it. So you could hear that there was like a you know, not stereotypical, but he did that really good kind of Russian villain, perfect accent. And then he did the sexy hero Russian accent and they were so different. And it really just added so much flavor to the story and the characters and really made it feel real. Like I was like, I hear this in my head, but now I'm really hearing it. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he's phenomenal. And Vivian LaRue is also really good as far as also bringing that emotion, especially for a heroine, as you described. Yes, yes. She she brought beautiful vulnerability and strength to a character that was, you know, had so much emotional ground to cover and she just really knocked it out of the park. Good. Yeah, those are those two are my are becoming really top favorites of mine for their range and able to bring in either that toughness alpha, but also that vulnerability in their voice, because that's the other thing, too. When we watch movies, we see the vulnerability, whether it's a tear or, a you know, kind of like sigh kind of thing. But to have to hear it in their voices, it's a lot. And so when you know, but when, but when they bring it, you're going, oh, my God, it's almost like seeing it, as I said before. Um, but those are definitely two that are starting to be my favorites. We actually have a clip of your audiobook for the listener's pleasure that we're going to play now and, uh, hope you guys like it. Can't breathe. Can't. Need air. Elaine Allen bolted upright in the uncomfortable seat in the gate area of the Moscow airport. One hand clutched her chest. Her heart was pounding so hard it felt like someone was beating her ribs from the inside. The fragments of the nightmare were still scattered in her thoughts as she fought to remember where she was. She was in an airport. She wasn't chained up. She wasn't in the dark. She caught her breath and glanced around her, instinctively searching for any threat before she finally calmed. Several passengers nearby watched her with open concern. She managed a shaky smile before she glanced down at her lap where her cell phone rested. She had 10 minutes before boarding her flight back to the United States. Then she could start to feel a bone-deep sense of relief at the thought of getting out of Moscow. Flashes of the dream that had woken her still lurked in her mind. The nightmare of what she had recently endured for two months had burned her so deeply that the scars ran straight through her soul. If she had never gone to that club that night, then she never would have been kidnapped, raped, tortured and starved by that sadistic, rich Russian mobster, Vadim. She never would have endured the dark, evil things that had nearly killed her. A cold numbness settled over her each time she was swamped by memories of what Vadim had done. A gate attendant began to speak in Russian, and Elena collected her bag when she realized it was the call for boarding. As she queued up with the other passengers, she felt a prickling on her scalp. Someone was watching her. She turned her head just enough to glance to her right, and then her left, her movements economical, so slight that the people around her wouldn't notice the fear she felt. She'd had this funny feeling on and off since she'd arrived at the airport. But whenever she looked, she could see no one showing any particular interest in the 20-year-old American college student at the gate for the Los Angeles flight. But that didn't mean someone wasn't watching her and the thought of a hidden voyeur edged her toward panic. Maybe Vadim was holding to that promise he'd made, that he would kill her, and he was finally coming after her. She wasn't the first woman he had captured, and she wouldn't be the last. But according to him, she had survived the longest. He hadn't lost interest in her because of the fire in her eyes. Like emeralds burning me up, you won't break so easily. I liked it about you. Vadim had growled. She had been chained to the wall in a secret hidden room in his office, suffocating slowly in the dark until he opened the door. That was the horror she'd faced every day. 
wishing to die quietly, alone in peace in that dark little chamber, breathing in stale air and not having to face the violence of the man who had stolen her life. There were so many days that she had longed for death, but it never came. Now she was free, thanks to a paleontology professor named Royce Devereaux and his graduate student, Kenzie Martin. They had been kidnapped by Vadim and forced to help him smuggle fossils out of Mongolia. But Vadim's plan had backfired. Royce and Kenzie had saved her life, and the three of them had made it safely to the U.S. Embassy in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, about a week and a half ago. From there, they'd traveled to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, where the staff had helped to sort out the logistics for her return home to the United States. So much of the days since her escape were blurry. Once she'd been able to move around without constant pain, the U.S. Embassy in Moscow had moved her to one of their apartments while they worked on helping her get the documents necessary to return to the United States. Slowly, she'd begun to feel safe behind the gates of the secured building. And now, she'd started her journey back home by leaving those who had helped her. So we hope that you guys enjoyed that clip. Make sure you go get it. We're going to be providing all the buy links within the post for you to grab that audio and check um, Zachary and Vivian in um, Dark Desire. So thank you for that, Lauren. You're welcome. And see, when you're not working, and I know that's a difficult question at this point, because I'm going, when are you not working? But when you're not working, (laughs) what do you do for fun? Well, I actually like to exercise. Um, I'm not like an exercise fiend, but I I enjoy um, working out and I I like um, playing with my dogs and I do a little bit of art, like sketching and uh, pencil in my free time, and sometimes painting if I'm really motivated. And I do photography. And uh, honestly, I love watching, obviously I love reading books, but I love watching TV and movies mm-hmm. too. Big movie and TV buff. Nice. So you're like the streaming like Netflix and Hulu and all that fun stuff now? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I watch a million and people are all like, how do you keep all your, you know, books different and separate? I'm like, well, how do you keep 20 different TV shows that are all different, you know, in your head? I'm like, it's the same thing. <laughs> Oh, that's a good analogy. That's true. I always have difficulties trying to remember, okay, I know this is a show, but was it on Hulu or Netflix? Oh, that, that is a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Network you don't, it's the network you don't remember. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm like, oh, fine. Press the button. Let's find out. Or I'll go, you know, do a Google search and then I'm like, oh yeah, it was on, it was on Amazon prime. It wasn't even on those two. Okay. Thanks, Viv. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you have a dog and you have just one or I have two dogs and okay. I have a cat. So I have a 19 year old cat and she's beautiful. She, I literally just did her cat DNA like a couple of weeks ago. So she has like Persian fur, but she has not a Persian face. She has like a beautiful, I mean, people see my cat and they're like, I've never seen a cat that pretty. And I'm like, and her fur is soft as Angora. It's Angora fur. So it gets on everything, but she's absolutely beautiful. And She is just, I found her in my front yard. She'd given birth to kittens when I was 17 years old and I'm 35 now. (laughs) So, and she had had these three kittens and they, they died because she had an infected uterus. And so Mm -hmm. we couldn't save the kittens and we barely saved her. We didn't know she was dying until we had an emergency surgery done when I noticed she was panting and I went to the vet and I'm like, I don't know very much about cats, but I don't, I know they shouldn't be panting. And he did an ultrasound. He's like, oh my gosh, her uterus is completely infected. We've got to remove it or she'll die. And so 
we did. And then she took right to our two dogs that we had at the time. And she's been with me ever since, went with me to law school. She stayed home while I was at college, but I wasn't very, I just was down the road <laughs> when I went to college. Yeah, I was yeah. like an hour away. But, um, and then I have a, a schnauzer, a black sh- miniature black schnauzer who's 10, he turned 10 this year. And then I have a six year old uh, soft coated Irish Wheaton Terrier. Aww. And they're, they're a handful, those two. They're terriers, man. <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, uh, yeah, they get these bursts of energies. And then they're, I'm like, you're on the couch. You're not going to dig into anything. Stop doing right. that. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't need to bark at everything. So like today, the housekeepers came. They come like every two weeks because that's all we can afford. And they just do like the bottom floor of our house where our dogs live because the cat lives upstairs because the terriers would eat the cat. So <laughs> they, I have to take the dogs, throw them in the car. And then I'm like, okay, what errands can I do for approximately one hour while the dogs are in the car with me? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Which means we go to the nearest Sonic restaurant because they always have dog biscuits. And then we go yeah. pick up prescriptions because the prescription place always has dog biscuits too. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they're all the biscuits. <laughs> yeah, they're going, is this the day where a bomb gets the house clean? Because, you know, treats. I mean, they, they expect <laughs> it every day now. They're like, literally in the morning, if I go anywhere near where my keys are stored, they automatically start barking insanely at me. And then one of them will bark at me and like nip my leg until I get what he wants. And then the other one is at the back door jumping up and down because she thinks we're going to go in the car right away. I mean, it's the most hysterical thing ever. Yeah. They learn that behavior, but things like don't do that. Yeah. They don't. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, yeah, I have a, a couple of dogs and stuff like that. So it's just one of those where I'm going, how is it that you can remember that the sound of the drawer where I keep the cheese sounds like? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh Yeah. But the fact that I'm telling you to drop it <laughs> or pee there, not here, is such difficulties for you, Atticus. <laughs> but yeah, gotta love them. Um, cats, I'm sure, are as she's older. Does she still think that she runs the house? She doesn't because she she's so old and so ancient. And, and she just pretty much stays on my bed all day except to eat go to the bathroom. So she just pretty much stays in my room and she's not allowed in any other rooms in the house because she tends to go to the bathroom on any carpeted areas or mm. rugs. So she has to stay upstairs, which is fine with her because again, she's old. She has to get arthritis shots every other week. So she just she just kind of parks it on the couch and then just enjoys being cuddled whenever I'm there. And that's pretty much all she has to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it gets such a, a a bad rap about like their attitudes and stuff like that i've been always fortunate all the cats i've ever had have been very lovey-dovey and it's just one of those things where sometimes they're like you know what i'm fine with staying up here because now you have to come see me and uh but sometimes they just don't care they just want to hang out so that's always nice you have to <laughs> show us some of these lovely pictures of you especially that cat that you're seeing that she's so oh yeah she's gorgeous trying to find a good picture but she's gorgeous yeah or you can take a picture and now she's gonna be like mom really seriously i thought we were She'll like i'll be like make the worst face ever for this picture <laughs> <laughs> yeah they always do that they're looking so cute and you're trying to do it sneakily to take a photo of them and then as soon as you see the camera they're like mm, and i'm like oh, really seriously come on yeah her um, thing is is she'll tuck her head in and just she'll just be this giant circle of white fur and i'm like i can't see your face you just tucked your head and now you're just a circle of endless fur and no one knows you're even a cat you look like a pillow (laughs) (laughs) she's like yes i'm mysterious 
like, okay, kitty. I used to have one like that when I had a black duvet, she would just disappear until she opened up her <laughs> eyes. And I'm like, there you go, midnight. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, the stories we could tell, we can go on forever. I'm sure. But I'm oh, going yeah. to change the subject now. <laughs> what is your favorite word? Now, oh, curse word favorite. is different. So mm, that, <laughs> I, I, I've learned to do that. And they go straight for the curse. I'm like, I said favorite word, people. Um, <laughs> oh, favorite favorite word do you have a favorite word i don't i probably have favorite phrases that i sneak in thematically when i feel it's appropriate and i wonder if readers are thinking i'm repeating myself when i'm actually doing it on purpose <laughs> mm. what are so, one of those do you have one of those phrases on top of mind yeah not all wonders are endless and i usually use it when i'm talking about something that is incredibly beautiful and it will purposefully never last. It's so brief that it has to be, you know, imprinted upon your memory before it's gone. And I, and I've used it in many different scenarios, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I, I have like little phrases that I toss in, but it's, it's always done on purpose. Not because I don't know that I'm repeating myself. I, I totally know. I. <laughs> well, sometimes things stick with you and that's fine. And that's a really good one. I'm going to borrow that eternally make a nice little graphic (laughs) (laughs) as a reminder to really enjoy every single moment because it's true you know they're not endless you know from things to people you never know so thank you for that um so now favorite curse word oh no i don't i guess well okay i guess if i have one it's actually bloody a lot of my english guys are always bloody this bloody that hellfire and damnation bloody hell you know that (laughs) so that yeah that would be it okay yeah no that's a good one i tend to like when i'm talking or reading a book or listening to one that has that british character in there and they're bloody and i'm going i'll get stuck with it for a couple weeks and i'm going bloody hell so yeah it's a good one that was some of my favorites so now that i know that you like a lot of movies and tvs but um music what song do you have to sing along with no matter where you are when you hear it? Oh my gosh. Probably Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver, <laughs> which sounds so oaky, but it is a great song. And I hate country music, but I love that song. It's a good one. It's yeah. catchy. It's catchy. It's emotional. It's got all the right notes. It's like folksy, but it's also like got just deep message and it's got you know just a really good um i played oboe for seven years and so i'm very attuned to like the way music flows and i i just like how it sounds yeah yeah he's good now i'm gonna have that song stuck in my head and so are you guys so haha um we'll put that on there too so people can check it out for those that don't know what we're talking about because it's considered an oldie We have a game that we love to play with our guests called Two Truths and a Lie, where you tell us three things about yourself and we have to figure out which one is the lie. And I like to say we because I really hope that everybody's playing along with me that's listening to this. So (laughs) if you're ready, (laughs) I am ready. You just tell me what I should do. Okay, so just tell us the three things um, and then I will let try to figure out which of those is the lie. Whenever you're ready. All right. I'm trying to decide if there's a special order I want to do these. <laughs> oh, okay. 
I think I will say some of these I revealed in the interview. Oh no. (gasps) Oh crap. Okay. Give me, give me a second to think here. Okay. Um, all right. I got to figure out weirdly. It's a truth. I got to figure out a different truth. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect to give it. I, I, I guess I wasn't thinking about how much I talk about that. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. I know what I can do. Um, all right. So I know ecclesiastical Latin fluently. I have eaten a starfish and I have climbed the great wall, all seven towers of the main part. Wow. Okay. These are very unique child. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's see. And what, can you tell me a little bit more about that Latin that you were mentioning? Ecclesiastical Latin, which is Latin that is used in church, uh, Catholic church. So not, it's, it's Latin, but it's Latin that it has, you're not learning full Latin. You're learning Latin just restricted to like Catholic church use. Got it. Okay. Let's see. So the seven walls, starfish or church Latin. Because in other words, I'm not going to be able to pronounce. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's see. Hmm. I want to say the lie is the Great Wall. Do I tell you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. I have climbed one of the major parts of the Great Wall, which has seven towers that you have to pass through. Wow. Okay. That's an adventure. (laughs) <laughs> it was quite an adventure. Some parts mm-hmm. were so steep. You were literally climbing. And I had nightmares for weeks afterwards that I was climbing it in my dreams and falling backwards <gasps> and dying because it was so it, steep. The, it was so steep that it almost felt like it was going outward as it went up. So you were like falling backward. It was very scary. Yeah, no, 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 no. I have a thing with heights and I can climb and stuff, but that no thing. Yeah, heights, no. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. Okay, so we now have... Latin or starf that she ate a starfish. She gave us exactly the definition of the Latin. So you would automatically think that that would be a truth, but she could also have Googled it. So, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But she is adventurous because she did that. She climbed and, you know, had dreams about that. So, hmm. Dang it. Usually I'm pretty good at this. Um, The starfish is a lie. That is a truth. Oh my goodness. (gasps) Yeah, <laughs> heard your doggies in the background. Like, oh, yes, so mommy won. Well, <laughs> man, decided to drop off a package at an inappropriate time. <laughs> I'm surprised mine's haven't howled. Usually, they did. I think it's because I came into my office after everybody else had left, so they know someone's here. But they will start howling as if it's the end of the world, and they're all <laughs> by themselves. They'll start singing all by myself a song and everything. And then I just open the door and they see me and they're going, oh, we're good. Thanks. Bye. And they'll stop. (laughs) Okay. So the lie is the Latin. (laughs) Should have gone with that. And it's sort of, I took a semester of ecclesiastical Latin on Wednesday nights in college to qualify for a free trip to take a Catholic pilgrimage to Italy. But I don't remember any of the Latin. I remember learning it and hating it and then immediately forgetting it. (laughs) So I'm not fluent in it. Got it. See, so there was a bit of truth there. That's how you get us. Yeah. There's always a little bit of truth in there before you you twist it and it's like, no, that was the lie. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. 
starfish how was that because that's exotic it so when i was in china there was a place called stick street in beijing and they have everything you could possibly imagine somehow fashioned to speared on or wrapped around a stick and starfish was speared on a stick and it was kind of crunchy because they had grilled it and then it was sort of dry and crunchy and I was not a fan. It scratched all the way down. I took one bite and I was like, all right, I've proved myself. All right, done with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes I I always say at least try, but there's certain things that I don't think I would be that adventurous to even try. So good for you on that one. Yeah, I passed passed on the bull testicles. I thought, no, I don't need to eat that. (laughs) It's quite all right. We're good. Yeah. That would be a fun scene for you, for your, for your men to be like you know, playing <laughs> poker or something and saying, Hey, you know, anybody in some bull testicles? Well, when I, I went to Oklahoma state and I'm from Tulsa, which is a, it's a metropolis on the, uh, for anyone that doesn't really super know the geography of Oklahoma, we're on the East side of the state. So we're very foresty. We're very uh, woodsy and Tulsa is a beautiful city. We were the oil capital of the world in the 1920s, like literally the oil capital of the world, like JP Morgan of JP Morgan Chase would come to our city every week to bid on oil properties and that kind of stuff. So we have like all this amazing art deco and and we're very different than Oklahoma city, which is our capital, which is very rural, even though there's like a city down there that the people in the Midwest and the West part of the state are very different than the city people from Tulsa. And so when I went to Stillwater for um, college, they teased me because they're like, oh, you got to come to a calf fry festival, calf fry festival. And finally, someone warned me and they go, you don't want to eat a calf fry. I'm like, why is it some kind of like fry or like a meat, like a nugget, but like in a fry shape? And they're like, no, no, it's bull testicles. You don't want to eat it. Oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks for the warning. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yeah. The girl didn't know that. <laughs> oh, how people like to fuck with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to take me snipe shooting too. And I didn't know that snipe shooting was also like fake and it's just they like Goodness. they take you out to the woods with a gun and like abandon you and you have to find your way back to the highway i'm like no no i'm not doing that either oh dang that's just <laughs> fucked up <laughs> that's like a, a horror story waiting to happen right <laughs> I'm like, I'm no. not going to be a Dateline episode. Sorry, I'll pass. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I can understand the whole it makes for a good story later on, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm kind of glad I was more in the city girl kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> then again, it's Miami. We had the Everglades, so that could have been fun. But no, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lauren, before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's coming next for you that you can share? I am currently working on a historical fiction book. It's my first ever. So there is romance in it. And ironically, the whole central focus of the book is romance, like the idea of romance itself. But it's set during World War II. And I'm keeping a lot of other details top secret because I cannot believe that not a lot of other people have written about this particular true story. So I'm totally keeping it kind of top secret because I have a publisher that might be interested and the book won't come out till if they sign it, it won't come out till 2013. So I don't want anybody to like write it and self-publish it before. And then like, I'll be like, Oh, Lauren Smith's a copycat. I'm like, no, I had it first. I promise. (laughs) But yeah, so historical fiction I'm working on now, and then I'll probably go into a pirate book after that, a pirate romance from the 1740s. Nice. Pirates are sexy. (laughs) They are. They are sexy, especially my pirates. Mm. 
So if you guys have not listened to her or read her pirates, you need to do that. And the audio book from my pirate book is very good. Mm. One that I have out. Yeah. Let's see who is the narrator for that one. Do you oh, off the top of your I head? I don't remember his name, but he's won some Audi awards for his voice. <laughs> he's, he's really good at different voices. So all the different like men on the ship versus the hero and the heroine mm-hmm. just really did a great job. Yeah. See, I kind of wish that when you look at the audible, they will give you a brief description like pirate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of like the historicals, you can tell that's a historical, um, you know, fluffy dress, all that fun. Yeah. Stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> well, so we'll I think the cover look. has a pirate on it. It's like a dude. It's like a gold background and it. And a dude in like a Johnny Depp kind of outfit. <laughs> ah, see that would help. But sometimes yeah. the uh, the audiobook covers then sometimes they get changed depending on the on the publishing house. So yeah. that's, that's another reason thing. why I like self publishing because then the, I can make the covers match, which helps. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it, it's definitely easier and better to find things. So, but that will definitely be on my little list here. Oh, there it is. No rest for the wicked. That's it. Yes, Cornell Collins. Go look him up. And I think know. that's his romance name. His real name is something else. And I know he's won awards under his real name. Yeah, that tends to happen. And, you know, we're so, I'm very particular and respectful of, the, you know, the synonyms yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but that's so sometimes when I when I read some of their names, I'm going, yeah, that's so a pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's so funny because when you're trying to find, like, they're also embarrassed to read romance sometimes, so they have a romance name, but then they never put contact info online for the romance name, so you're running around never knowing who they are, so it takes you 20 million years to finally figure out, by like, sometimes I have to go to Tantor, and I'm like, what's this dude's real name, because I need to find him and talk to him about something, and, you know, or like, ask him about the next book, or whatever, and I... I'm like, I need to know who, where, who this guy really is so I can contact him. And then, of course, he has like a normal website for his normal name. And I'm like, why don't you put this other name out there? I need to, people need to find you. Yes. Now, I know that definitely that's a conversation that we've been having a lot with the narrators and in just, you know, on social media posts, because when it comes down to that casting situation, they, you know, we want to hire them. As you were saying, we can't find them. And then on top right. of that, some of them don't have any freaking social media. So good luck there. Yeah. Um, I'm like, just get a website. That's all you need. And then have yeah. sub tabs for your different names. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, it's not that hard. <laughs> or even then, I mean, like at the end of the day, a, a, a domain for a basic domain is like 12 to $14 per year. Yeah. It's nothing. You know? Yeah. Just have one in there that's stagnant and just says, you know, contact information. And that way I can cast you in a book because you're the guy that we want or the girl that we want. Um, otherwise it's a, such a pain, but yeah. So if guys, narrators, if you're listening to this, website please <laughs> because <laughs> and under any name that you are willing to narrate under because you know i know sometimes there's multiple names but usually at least there's a minimum of two but yeah definitely consider us listeners please and also the casting directors we like to be able to find you rather easily and not go on a witch hunt you know or in this case for yeah. you a treasure hunt for a pirate <laughs> <laughs> um so cool. So we have pirate coming up. Anything else? I know you mentioned a novella that's going to be in a box set. Can you tell us a little bit about that or no? Yeah. So that is called, uh, the box set is called, um, I think it's called, oh my gosh, I better look it up before I say something that is not correct. My story in it is called uh, Waltzing in the Snow. And it is a really cute story about a 
a girl who she thinks she likes this guy and she is going on this lane with him around Christmas time. And she um, thinks he's going to propose. And instead of proposing, he actually tries to kind of assault her a little bit. And so she gets rescued Christmas on Scandalane. That's awesome. And Christmas on Scandalane. And there's five authors in the set. And so they all involve this Scandalane, which is this road in Hyde Park. So, you know, something good may happen on the lane. Something bad may happen. It's different in each story. And in mine, she gets rescued by her brother's ex-best friend. So what I love is you have the brother's best friend trope, but it's an ex. So there's like a different twist there. And, you know, the reason he's an ex is he and the brother both fell in love with the same woman and then they both lost that woman and neither of her ended up with that woman. And, and then he's secretly falling in love with the heroine and she tricks him into, she's like, well, you ruined my engagement to that guy. And he's like, well, like I was going to hurt you. And she's like, I know, but still I was going to get married. Now you messed that up. And so she's like, you need to teach me how to seduce a man. And her plan is thinking, she's thinking, well, maybe now that I've reconnected with this guy, since I haven't seen him in a few years, I'll trick him into falling in love with me with the old teach me to seduce other other men plan you know and so it's a really cute kind of like you know lessons in seduction thing gone wrong and it's they've got meddling family members and christmas (laughs) and it's just it's just fun (laughs) yeah no so that is coming out november 9th so we're going to be chatting and this will air on the 12th so it will be out by then so i'll make sure to include it right now it's right now it's up for pre-order um on kindle paperback and hardcover that's a nice cover by the way yeah, very cute. Very cute. Yeah. Definitely. It's cute. I like them when they're, you can almost like make them as if they're actually a poster or that you want to hang on your wall. Those are Which I have, I have totally done that. There are two <laughs> covers. The, the one that I was talking about, that's book 17 that everybody's excited about. His mm-hmm. cover is so amazing that I, even though it's not a proprietor yet, I have the poster canvas on my wall. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you should. It's, you know, a lot of work goes into these covers and stuff like that. And if you have the space... You know, I would sometimes oh, yeah. try to make them into uh, like bookmarkers or I think I have one that I made into a pillow at the very beginning that I was working with an author and I just love that cover. And I saw made it into a pillow. Oh, that's so, fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, but then again, you start collecting a lot of pillows. So I'm like, no, it's one is fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. Cause otherwise, I mean, that's the thing too, when it comes down to books, we end up collecting them. And if we like one book, then we have to get the whole series. And then if you guys change the cover on the series, we may have to get the entire thing in the new covers. Yeah, it's a bit of an issue, but it's okay. It's okay. You know, I think I was, it was TikTok that I, I saw recently that said, the only problem with eBooks is that we can't put them on our shelves like uh, trophies, like blood trophies. I think it was yeah. a reference to Dexter. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, that is true. But it's a lot easier for, for when you have to move. Trust me a lot easier for them moving when you have to move so that's good so thank you so much lauren for taking the time to hang out with me today in chats it's been so much fun and a pleasure yeah it's been a blast awesome thank you again if you're not following lauren on social media and basically anywhere else that she's at um, newsletter and stuff like that we were going to provide you with all the links in the episode and you can find them over at viviana enchantress of books to make sure that you follow her and until next time happy listening thank you again Thank you to all of our audiobook-loving podcast Patreon. Special thanks to Nixley Zenner, Carol Liebner, Line Black-Peterson, Brittany Robinette Leiter, Don Darch, Michelle Bastard, Nancy Billows, 
the audiobook loving podcast has special Patreon access levels. Join today to receive benefits including early access to episodes, shoutouts, special exclusive content, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobookloving. We thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening. Happy listening.